to have our eyes on God. And often there was a cross in the middle of the sanctuary. We have technology here, so we have some crosses on the side. But the reminder was this. We are not to get our eyes on a man or on a woman, on, on a person. But our, and so the pastor always was off to the side when he preached. And so maybe this morning, this is just a good reminder that as I'm preaching off to the side, that um, we elevate God's word and we don't elevate a person. We put our eyes firmly, fix them on Jesus and what he wants to do in your life today. And so it might just be a good reminder out of necessity today. I may be back in the middle at some point if we get our um, technology figured out. But I do, I know uh, we pause and pray often. We've prayed many times already this morning. But just before we, um, we read God's word, can we, um, can we just pause? And one way that we're going to worship God in the word is that we'll open our hearts to his word. And we'll say, God, I, I want to hear from you today. And I want to know your truth. I want you to lead me. I want you to speak something into my life today. So would you pray with me and just uh, take a moment before we read? So Father, we thank you for uh, your word that's living, it's active, it's alive. Uh, because Spirit of God, you bring the word of God alive to us. You bring revelation. You uncover the things that, God, you want to speak to us today. And so we worship you with our posture. We open our hearts to you. And as we come to your word, we thank you that it reveals you, Lord. It reveals your character. It reveals the truth, the path that you call us to live on. It, it changes and shapes us. It renews us by transforming our minds and transforming and renewing our thoughts. And so we thank you for that today. And we commit our time in the word to you. May it be with that posture of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my thoughts today is simply one word, and it's sealed. Sealed. How many of you uh, are going to be doing or had did some canning this fall, and you wanted to get a really good seal on that can because you didn't want those contents to spoil? Well, we've been on this journey a little bit around this, this guy named Samson, and one of the things that we've been looking at is how the Spirit of God was active in Samson's life. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at how God had set him apart for a specific purpose, and then there's a scripture that tells us that the Spirit of God began to stir Samson. And that word stir means to tap on the shoulder. It means to, to get going in a certain direction. And God began by his Spirit to, to speak some things to Samson about his destiny and about his identity. And so we looked at how the Spirit of God stirs us as well. And how Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. We're not spiritual orphans. But because of what Jesus has done, we can be reunited with the very presence of God, the one that has created us, and that presence of God comes to dwell in us by the Spirit of God. And so Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father, he's going to give you another counselor, one like Jesus, that will be with us, and that he's the Spirit of truth, he'll lead us into truth, and he will stir us always, he'll move us in the direction of God's purposes for our lives. That's what the Spirit of God will do in your life. He will always, always move you and stir you in God's direction. And then, yeah, thanks God. And then um, we also, uh, Jesus said, he's going to be with you, and not only that, the Spirit of God will come and dwell in you. There's an intimacy that we can know with the presence of God through the Spirit of God. And so we looked at that idea of being stirred. We want to be stirred by God's very presence in our lives. 
We want to know that he's moving us along. And then today we look at this idea of sealed. We look at another dimension of the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. When we look at Samson's life, unfortunately, he did not finish well. You know, we read stories of perhaps celebrities or, or people that are well-known in the sports world or other uh, individuals who might be famous for something. And every once in a while, you come across a story where someone just does not finish well, and they end their life destitute and broken and perhaps lonely and without friends. And, and it's a heartbreaking story whenever we read something like that. Because we think, oh, that person was doing so well, and, and yet they came to the end of their life and they did not finish well. It's the same in our, in our spiritual walk. We hear about people who at one point were passionate for God and who wanted to know God's purpose and direction in their lives, who were making a difference for God and bringing hope and love and joy to people's lives. And we read sometimes that sometimes people don't finish well. And what we want to avoid is we want to avoid two things when we look at about this, this concept of finishing well. Sometimes there's a tendency for us to flame out or to fade out. And you've heard a story of someone who just flamed out. There was kind of this catastrophic decision that they made and it, it just destroyed their lives and they just flamed out. And we don't want that to happen in our lives. We're not talking about this with any sense of judgment because here's the, here's the truth. But for the grace of God, there go I. It can happen to any one of us. And then the other scenario that sometimes we discover is that people just fade out and, 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 and they're, you know, they, the, the difference they once made begins to diminish and they lose their passion and their joy for life and they just begin to kind of fade. And that life that they once you know, was so strong in them, it just begins to fade. And so today as we look at the life of Samson, we recognize that he didn't finish well. And rather than flame out or fade out, what our desire is that we would be faithful that we would finish well. And I know that that's my heart and your heart as well, that, that God help us to finish well. Help us not to flame out, help us not to fade out, but help us to finish well. And so we come to our passage of scripture today, and here's a guy named Paul, and he's about to cross the finish line. He's almost there. Some of us are closer to the finish line than we were to the beginning of our lives, so the, to the starting line, right? Some of us are, are perhaps in that season where we're seeing the finish line and we're thinking, you know, it won't be long before I pass from this life to the next. And so this is the reality for Paul. And he's talking to a young guy, Timothy, and Timothy is a lot closer to the starting line than he is to the finish line. And Paul wants him to finish well. And Paul begins to reflect on his own life. And in essence, he says this. Actually, I want to just read it for you in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Oh, I didn't even get myself there. Hang on for a second. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. This is so familiar, but we're going to use this as a springboard to this idea of finishing well. Paul says, well, I'll start at verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, that day when I stand before him. And not only to me, here's the hope for us today, not only to me, but to all 
who have longed for God's appearing, to everyone who has a heart to say, God, I want to serve you and I want to finish well, that there is an eternal hope for us that we can look forward to. And Paul is saying, listen, I've, I've, I'm finishing strong. He didn't flame out. He didn't fade out. He wasn't perfect. That's not what he was saying. But he uses this imagery of an athlete. And I was thinking about how every athlete that stands on the podium and receives that medal... Paul uses the imagery of a, of a, of a crown of righteousness. In, in his day, when you, when you won a race, you'd have, like a, um, you'd have a, a crown that would be put on your head of sorts. And so every athlete who climbs the podium, who has crossed the line, can point to someone who helped them, can point to someone who helped them to persevere, can point to someone who encouraged them when they were discouraged and they felt like you know, getting off the path and just sitting down and quitting. Someone who encouraged them to keep their eyes on the finish line. And that person is probably called a coach. Any of you had a coach in your athletic world, you know that that's a role. And so I think this morning as we look at Paul's life, the question is, well, how did he do it? How did he remain faithful to the end? How could he say to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, it hasn't been easy. But I'm coming to the end of my life and I can look back and I can say I've fought the good fight. I can look at this race of life and I can say that I have finished the race. And not only that, I can say that I have kept the faith. My love for God has not diminished. My heart to follow him has not faded over the years. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, I finished strong. And how did he do it? Well, I believe... It's the role of the Holy Spirit that we come to. And and I want to just encourage you with this thought that the Holy Spirit will help you to get to the finish line. The Spirit of God, the very presence of God in your life will help you to get to the finish line through seasons of discouragement, through seasons of disillusionment, through seasons of disappointment, through seasons of joy and victory. But it's God's Spirit that's given to us to help us to run this race. You don't have to do it in your own strength. If it was up to our own strength, none of us would get to the finish line. Discouragement and fear and all of those things that we battle against. And so Paul says, listen, I'm finishing strong. And I believe it's another aspect of the 22 starts to uncover this for us a little bit. Listen to what, this is Paul again. He's speaking to a different church family in the city of Corinth. And he says this, now it is God who makes both us and you, speaking to a church, makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He goes on and says, he anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And Paul begins to remind you and I today that if we are going to finish strong, then our dependency is on the very presence of God, the very spirit of God who is at work in our lives, and his role is to help you to finish strong, not to flame out, not to fade out, but to finish strong. And I know that's your heart, and it's my heart this morning. And so the spirit of God, that's his purpose amongst other things. And so Paul talks about this seal. He says the spirit of God... We'll get to another verse that specifies this a bit more clearly. But the Spirit of God is a seal over your life. Now, if you've studied ancient culture, especially in the culture in which um, Scripture was written, you would know that a seal was often used. They're not used very often in our day and age today. But often a, a, a king would have a signet ring, 
and there would be a symbol on that ring. And if he was going to send a document that was meant not to be tampered with, uh, that would carry his authority, he would make a seal. And so they would find some wax or some clay, something that was soft, and the king would make a deep imprint on that wax or on that clay. And then that would be placed on that document, and it would be sent on its way. And so if you saw a document with the seal of the king on it, you knew a couple of things. You knew that the, the full authority of the king was, was represented in that seal. You dare not mess with that seal. If you weren't authorized to open that document, you dare not mess with it. Because the authority of the king was carried in that seal, that imprint. It also implied ownership, that there was something about that document that it wasn't yours, it wasn't anyone else's, but it was the king's. And so there was ownership. It also talked about authenticity, where how did we know if it wasn't a fake document? Well, only the king had that signet ring that could imprint a seal on that document. And so Paul begins to use this analogy, and he says, God has placed a seal on your life. He has imprinted his spirit on your life. And as God's spirit begins to work in us, we begin to just experience the authentic work of God in us. And so Paul goes on in Ephesians and he says, he says this, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Here's this thought of a seal again the promised Holy Spirit. So he begins to let us know it's actually the Spirit of God, it's actually the presence of God that comes and indwells our lives that is that mark of God's authority, that is that mark of authenticity, that is that that mark that means that no one can tamper with us outside of God's authority in our lives. And so it's the Spirit of God. We are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I want to encourage you today that you are marked with a seal of God's ownership and that you are now under God's authority. You are now under God's blessing, but, but it starts with having believed. It starts with having believed. You see, God will never imprint his seal, his presence, his spirit in your life apart from you giving him permission to do that. And the reality is that you and I have a choice to make. We can reject God's presence in our lives. We can reject his path for our lives. But Paul says, at the moment that you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you, then you are reconciled to God. There is now relationship that is possible because Jesus has, has taken your sin and my sin on the cross. And he's, he has totally consumed the, the righteous wrath of God for your sin and mine. And so he never puts his seal on our lives in a forced way. There is a free choice that every one of us make. And it's either to reject God's plan and to reject his truth in our lives or it's to, to receive it. And scripture says the moment, having believed, the moment you put your faith in Christ, the spirit of God now comes to dwell in you and he acts like a seal over your life. He actually now is the very presence of God working in your life, working to transform you, working to give you the strength that you need to avoid temptation, working to bring you to the finish line so that as Paul said, man, I'm looking forward to that day because there is now a crown of righteousness in store for me. There is now an eternal hope that I am going to step into. 
And so it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that enables you to stand firm and to finish well. It's by inviting his work in your life that you will be able to finish well. And the fact of the matter is that you are now a child of the Father. There's a sense of ownership when God's presence comes to dwell with us. You are now his. And there's also a reality that there's an enemy who does not want you to finish well. There's an enemy who would like nothing more than to see you finish poorly, to see you flame out or to fade out, and to not finish this journey well. But our hope is this, that the enemy sees that seal, that mark on your life. If you have put your faith in Jesus, then the Spirit of God now dwells in you. And when the enemy comes to try to tamper with your life, what does he see? He sees the seal, the mark of God's ownership. And you can simply remind him of whose you are. Yeah, the enemy wants to try to tamper with your life. He wants to disrupt your life. But in those moments, what we need to do is remind him of whose we are. There is a seal, a mark on my life, and it's the presence of God. And so you cannot tamper with my life indiscriminately. But make no mistake, there is a battle that is being waged against us. There is an enemy. There is evil. And and I've mentioned this before. If you ever doubt the existence of evil in our world, just take a moment to read the newspaper or to listen to the news. There are things happening that I, you, can't, you cannot even imagine. They're horrific. And it's the existence of evil. There is no question. There is no question. But there's also a God who is good and who wants us to know his freedom and his presence. And so the enemy will try to tamper with our walk. He will try to get us off track. To tamper, one of the, one of the um, definitions of tamper is to interfere with. And for some of you, the enemy has been trying to tamper with you. And what he's trying to do is interfere with God's plan for your life. And he's trying to do damage to God's plan for your life so that he can just get you off track ever so slightly. And then often we just do the rest. Can't blame everything on the enemy. But he's trying to interfere with God's plan for you. That is his purpose in your life. You know, if you play hockey, there's, um, there's a penalty that you get sometimes. It's an interference penalty. Anyone here got an interference penalty before? This is a Judas stick, so that's why it's a bit small. But uh, two of my sons are playing hockey, and so we spend a fair amount of time at the arena. And I've seen the refs call an interference penalty before. An interference penalty, there's two scenarios where often it'll get called, and that is if a player is, is making his way toward the puck, he's driving down the ice, and another player just gets in his way and obstructs him, then there's, that's an interference penalty. You can't do that. You can't just indiscriminately decide, I'm just going to stop this player from being in the game and getting where he needs to go. So that's a penalty. That's interference. The other scenario is if you've ever been playing hockey and you've dropped your stick, then if a player kicks it, down the ice, then you're going to get an interference penalty because you're intentionally trying to keep that player out of the game. And this is what the enemy tries to do in our lives. He tries to interfere with us because we are, our hearts are to serve God, our hearts are to know God's presence, our hearts are to finish well, and the enemy will interfere with that and try to get us off track. And sometimes we fail, sometimes we drop the stick, and the enemy just wants to kick that stick down the ice. He doesn't want you to get back in the game. He tries to interfere with God's purposes for your life. This is what he tries to do. He'll try to tamper 
with God's purposes for your life. And in those moments, you can remind him of who you are. You can take a stand and say, I know what you're trying to do, and I'm going to stay faithful to God. With the help of the Spirit of God, I will finish well. I will pick that stick back up, and I will stay in the game because God wants a path and a purpose for my life, and I will not give up on that. And so the enemy tries to tamper with us. Remind him of whose you are in that moment. You bear the seal of authenticity. You carry the very spirit of God, the presence of God. And so remind him of whose you are. The other thing, the aspect of this word tamper is not only to interfere, but to make unauthorized alterations. To make unauthorized alterations. Do you realize this, that the only ground the enemy can take in your life is the ground that you give him? He cannot make unauthorized alterations to your life. He can't. He can try, but if you are in a surrendered, submitted place before God, oh, he can bring storms your way. Jesus said, in this life, we're going to experience difficulty. We experience the brokenness of the world in which we live, but the enemy cannot make unauthorized alterations to your life. He cannot indiscriminately, at will, Uh, do whatever he wants in your life as much as he would like to do that. And the only ground that the enemy can take in your life is the ground that you give him. And how do we give the enemy a foothold? Scripture puts it this way. We are not to give the enemy a foothold in my life. And the way that I begin to give the enemy a foothold is I begin to walk in deliberate sin. The enemy can just begin to find a place there in our lives where he can begin to bring disruption and destruction. It's through willful disobedience. It's through beginning to dabble in things that we have no business to dabble in. And there are ways that we can give the enemy a foothold. And Scripture says, don't do that. Don't do that. Because the enemy will take advantage of those moments. It can be harboring unforgiveness and refusing to forgive and beginning to become bitter. The enemy will piggyback on some of those decisions and begin to just deepen that place in your life that will eventually bring destruction to you but he cannot make unauthorized alterations. Luke 22, Jesus begins to give us some insight into the unseen realm of the battle that's happening. And he says to Simon, as we know, uh, his name is Peter as well. He changed his name to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you. He's sitting in the upper room, the last meal. So he's saying actually this to everyone. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith will not fail. So when you have repented, and when you have turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus was revealing to us that there is this battle of evil versus good. And you are in that battle, and so am I. But the good news is the enemy cannot make indiscriminate and unauthorized alterations in your life. And so Jesus talks about how the enemy's desire, the enemy came and asked permission, man, I want to get these guys. I want to sift them like wheat. Now, if you look at the idea of sifting wheat, it's, it's, it's getting, it's kind of tearing the head of that wheat apart and it's separating chaff from the actual seed, but it's, it's kind of this destructive process. And in our vernacular today, Satan was saying this, he said, I want to tear Simon apart. I want to destroy him. We shouldn't be surprised that this was Satan's request. 
Satan desires that you would not finish well. And so Jesus reveals that there is this battle that's going on. And you know, Satan's request is selfish. It's evil. That's what's in his heart. He's just bent on your destruction. What a selfish, selfish request. Jesus, I want to take Simon. I want to tear him apart. Scripture says that Satan is our accuser. And yet he does not have unlimited access to our lives. But he will try. He will try to disrupt and to interfere. And then Jesus reveals as well in this passage of Scripture that we have an advocate. Scripture actually says that in this moment that Jesus is praying that our strength would remain. That you would remain strong. That your faith would not fail that you remain true to God. We have an advocate. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. So we have an accuser and we have an advocate. And Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, I'm gonna pray that your faith should not fail. In fact, I'm pleading for you in prayer. Now he was not pleading with the enemy, make no mistake there. But he was praying to the Father and saying, Father, would you keep, would you keep these people safe? Would you keep them Finishing well. Well, we know that Peter did fail. We know that Peter did fail. But he finished well. Right? He had a moment. He had a moment where he denied Christ. He never ever thought he would ever do that. In fact, he said to Jesus just before this conversation, he said, Jesus, there are other people in this room that are going to fail you, but I will not. Peter had a little bit of a pride problem and he thought that it was, he, he would just muscle through. And so in this deep moment of failure in his life, he actually did fail. But Jesus also gave him hope that what was in his heart would actually lead him back to a place of repentance. He said, Peter, after you fail, when you turn back to me, when you repent, when you turn from that place of failure and you turn to me, then here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna redeem that moment of failure and I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want to encourage others who have failed but still want to finish well. And God can use our moments of failure for his good. God can redeem the places where we have fallen down And as long as we simply turn to him and we repent, that means we turn away from our sin, we turn away from our failure and we turn to God then the good news is that God's forgiveness is always available to us. No matter how deep our failure, no matter how far our wandering, that God's forgiveness and his love calls us back to himself. And at the moment that we turn to him, there is forgiveness available to us. And then miracle of miracles, he can actually take our brokenness and he can redeem it and begin to use it for good in other people's lives. Peter, when you have repented and turned back to me, strengthen those around you. Give them encouragement. Help them to know that they can still finish well, that this is not the sum total of the story of their lives. And so Jesus is our advocate, and he kind of peels back the unseen and helps us to understand that there is an enemy of our souls who wants us to finish poorly but that when we turn to Jesus and when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can finish well. And so Satan's desire is selfish. He wants you. If he could, he would destroy you. But he can't. 
Yes, we will fail, and he'll try to use those failures to bring us further away from God. But we need to remember that we have the Spirit of God. We have that seal in our lives, that mark that we are God's, and that when we turn back to him, there's forgiveness, and there's restoration, and there's reconciliation. And so, as we come to a close this morning, I want to just encourage you that when the enemy tries to tamper with you, to interfere or to make unauthorized alterations, remind him of whose you are. He doesn't need a reminder of whose you are. He sees that in your life. He sees the Spirit of God. And sometimes we need that reminder. And we need to just stand firm in who we are. Ephesians 6.13 talks about the armor of God. It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy, speaking of Satan, in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. As the power of God works in your life, he will enable you to stand firm, that you will finish well. So we need to learn to stand firm, and we also need to learn to declare truth. If you're going to be able to resist the enemy and stand firm, you need to know the truth of God's word, and you need to begin to declare it. One of the ones that comes to mind is this, no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. That the enemy will try to wage war against me and will try to interfere with me, but I know that I bear the mark of God's presence in my life, and as I rely on the power of God, I will finish well. I will be able to say like Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. I'm looking forward to that day. And some of you this morning need to hear this because the enemy has been trying to interfere. And you need to hear two things. Number one, you need to hear that he cannot indiscriminately work in your life. And perhaps you've given him some ground and you need to take it back today by coming and repenting before the Lord and saying, God, here's an area of disobedience in my life and I know that the enemy tries to get a foothold and I simply come and I repent I repent of my failure and I come and I ask God for your forgiveness. And God will forgive, God will strengthen. Or perhaps today you just need to take a stand and you need just to be reminded of whose you are and that you bear the mark of God's spirit in your life. Just as we close, I'm gonna ask Pastor Yeshua to come and and there's a, there's a summary thought. I, I'm not even sure who wrote this, but just listen to this because I believe it captures the scriptures and the thoughts that we've been looking at this morning. And they've written it as though God is speaking to you. They've written it in a personal way as though God is wanting to, to, you to hear something this morning. And, and this is what they wrote. I want you to be so confident in the fact that I have planned to bring you into the inheritance, eternal hope, that I have promised you, that I have given you my spirit. You'll have great moments and you will have not so great moments along the journey. There will be times when you doubt you'll make it to the end of the day, let alone to the end of the race. But that's why I've given you my spirit. I'm committed to you winning the prize, to gaining the inheritance, And my spirit is the guarantee that you will receive the crown and you will wear the medal. I'm just going to ask that we'd stand this morning. What a tremendous hope today. 
What a tremendous hope. What a tremendous hope. And maybe the enemy's been kicking your stick down the ice. You've been trying to pick it up and just get back in that place of living for God and you haven't been able to. Or maybe today you've just been off track a little bit. You just need to say, God, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. And I need the presence and the power of God in my life to help me to finish well. God, it's my desire that when I stand before you, that you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not because I just muscled through, but because I invited the Spirit of God to work in my life. It's because when I failed, I repented and I turned back to God. And it's because God redeemed my places of failure for his glory. And so, Pastor Yeshua, can you just lead us in a song? We're just going to, just for a quick moment, I just invite you just to respond in your seat. Whether that's by singing or just closing your eyes and listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And then we're going to close in prayer. But just know that you're marked with a seal today. And the enemy sees that. He sees the Spirit of God at work in your life. And God sees your heart that you want to serve Him. Would you reach out to Him today as we just worship for a moment?